to Mechanical Freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. I'm Greg. I'm staring at the ever hotter face of Brian. Hey, yeah, he's Brian's got a weird <laughs> energy these I'm, days. He's singing little tunes. He's making little faces every week. Mm-hmm. But Sal ain't changed me. Uh, yeah, he's still the the uh, yeah yeah um, uh, Beach Brian Malibu Brian is still still like you know in there somewhere, slowly getting buried in the hole that you dug for him. You know that he dug for himself. <laughs> but nonetheless, that, that is the, true. The tide's coming in a little more all the time on <laughs> Malibu Brian, but. <laughs> just like a snowman in winter we know it's beautiful but we know it can't last yeah yeah um well <laughs> welcome back everybody brian so i i think you know right off the top we just need to like reaffirm that we were absolutely correct that the trump raid documents uh were is a bullshit story uh there's nothing there it's not going anywhere it doesn't matter but you know if you have anything to add on the development since the last time we spoke of like it may be possibly being related to nuclear secrets. Uh, you know, I mean, if you could make heads or tails of that, I once again have been working and thus uh, have uh, not really followed it. But if you can um, maybe, you know, flesh that out for me. Yeah, it was funny, you know, as we were recording last week when we talked about this, obviously this was a developing story. And I kind of remember... As we were talking, peeking at Twitter a little bit and people talking about nuclear secrets and just dismissing it as being so <laughs> ludicrous as to not even look into it anyway. But this is the story so far as I can flesh it out is according to congressional sources, uh, at some point during the Trump administration, while they're in the White House, uh, President Trump, General Michael Flynn and maybe Jared Kushner had discussed sending up to 40 nuclear reactors to Saudi Arabia as part of some sort of aid package. Obviously, these nuclear reactors would be used to create a nuclear weapons program, uh, as you know, all nuclear reactors are used in capitalist states to create nuclear weapons. Um, and that apparently they batted this idea around for a while and then decided not to do it. I mean, that's 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 an old story though right like yeah yeah i that, think this is that came out at the time and or like shortly after like once it had once it had not happened it can't you know that came out uh in the times i think uh in like 2019 and i think we can dissect that a little further um but uh so since then obviously there was this raid at mar-a-lago the FBI tantalizingly uh, suggested that there might be something involving nuclear secrets and national yeah. defense uh, involved okay. in the raid. So this bullshit, like, and immediately, so what I have gathered, immediately everyone took that and went, holy shit, my man Trump 
was holding on in his little safe that he was so upset about the <laughs> FBI cracking. Well, that's where he keeps the secrets. The police can't go in there. He had <laughs> literally the plans to build nuclear weapons, how to enrich uranium, how to fucking build a bomb. And that's what he was hiding. That's what the FBI went looking for. And I said it immediately online when I saw that. And I'll say it now, not knowing anything else, really. That is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. That is obviously not true. Uh, there is no scenario <laughs> where that would be possible or plausible. Nor is this how it would go down if that was the case. Just like scanning some articles, like before we're recording here, like there's also and like sort of looking at my phone occasionally at work. There's also something about him, like maybe have never having given back the nuclear football. Yeah, which is very I... funny if that's true, but also <laughs> sounds could for all I know, it's another like weird extrapolation from just this insinuation of like nuclear nuclear related shit they were looking for. But also doesn't change anything like. If it's true, if it is t true that some of the documents they were looking for or found are nuclear related secrets, it means two things that it that is technically true in two ways that some of the documents that they found that were, you know, from his days as president were marked super duper secret, which would have been all of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, various I, various classifications of secrecy. <laughs> yeah, all documents from the U.S. government are top are, secret. Are all In secret population surveys. Yeah. What the president yeah. ate last week. It's all top secret. Yeah. Like and, uh, we classify everything. And if it is true, and not just some like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, nuclear secrets are a type of secret that you know the president uh, might have access to so hey there could have been nuclear secrets in those papers we found if it isn't that which i mean that you know that's the sort of thing a cop is likely to do to say at a press conference um if it's actually technically true it's that there's some documents that are marked super duper top secret and then the subheading is somehow related to america the american nuclear program that could be a daily like Yep, we're we're still we the power's still on at all the fucking <laughs> uh you know the subs are still in the water you know yeah. like the daily briefing from the strategic air command or the fucking you know Trident program or whatever that would be technically secrets related to the nuclear program and would be utterly mundane and not like actual like tangible like uh what outside of a legal bureaucratic framework you would think of as nuclear secrets because there's no reason and no possibility that the man himself would ever have encountered those okay because <laughs> no one does so like there weren't the so there was just there seemed to be all this speculation about like he had these actual things in his possession that he was that and then the implication is he was trying to sell them like those the documents they were looking for like people are such fucking children <laughs> like to just like wildly uh like speculate and imagine this this shit like insane nonsense yeah i don't need to know any other details to know that's bullshit now did again the the story of them wanting to the like the real like insider psychos like kushner and flynn and trump like wanting to give nukes to the to the saudis 
like that's an old story if there's something else on the side where they were trying to do it outside of the you know what what will could be turned by somebody into an extra legal event you know fight then i you know we haven't heard about that yet but like it sounds like what they did was you know they were looking for documents that he had which any president is going to have that are evidence of something they're trying to pressure him on and maybe it is related to some like mal something they're going to try and hit him with malfeasance on related to this uh saudi arabia deal but that just means again like you don't need to raid Mar-a-Lago to get that. The federal government has like all the <laughs> the records of all the things the Trump administration did. That's what's funny, like you know that that's how the FBI gets them, and that's part of the theater. Like if you're going to lean on someone you ultimately can't actually prosecute or do anything to, this is how you do it. You do it by the FBI showing up and like signaling, like, "Hey, we're we can fuck with you." But like, you know, yeah. And I mean, I also speculated like, you know, if it was the first thing I thought when it was like nuclear nuclear related is like, I mean, that could be a, if, you know, it could be a fucking plant, you know, like mm -hmm. if you wanted to like have an insurance, if you knew Trump was pocketing documents, you know, and you wanted to like be able to lean on him later, you could slip again, one a mundane document in there that you could later like say in a press conference, like, hey, these are nuclear secrets. And no one will ever know. No one will ever be able to know what they were because you'll always be able to say, oh, well, it's secret. We can't tell you, you know. <laughs> well, and I think the thing is, is that a couple of things to keep in mind is that the idea that there was some sort of nuclear document at all. The only evidence we have from that is suggestions from the FBI who listeners of the show don't need to be told are not a credible source of information. I mean, uh, you know, the U.S. intelligence agencies and police are very fond of talking up all the things, all the threats out there. And then uh, let's just say a little scant on providing evidence for them mm -hmm. whenever you question them on it, uh, whether that's weapons of mass destruction in iraq whether that is the uh sony hacks that they promised they had smoking gun information on but then just forgot to tell us all what it was uh pick your pick your poison right of the last 20 years right so let's just say until that evidence actually shows up uh i would be a little skeptical of it the other thing is that you know i'm sorry i don't care that he's rich i don't care that he's the fucking president if Donald Trump were selling nuclear secrets to a third party uh, that the United like States personally, did not want extra him, legally. yeah, personally, extra legally selling them to a, a party that the United States did not want to have it, uh, they wouldn't be sending guys and polos over to look inside a safe. He would be in fucking Guantanamo Bay. Like, I, it was so funny. Somebody asked, like, how come he hasn't been arrested yet if this is the case? And so it's like, oh, a little thing called due process. And it's like, ludicrous. Ludicrous. Rowdy Winner didn't get due process. Fucking Chelsea Manning didn't okay, get due I process. Mean, I mean, this yeah, is, to be this fair, is he, ludicrous. he is a rich guy who was the president. But here's the thing ludicrous. It's like, way. we're talking about the Saudis here. Does that sound yeah. like someone who the uh, American state would never consider giving nuclear weapons to like oh my god that's beyond the pale like that's never come up in other administrations that's not something that they're probably still uh 
dangling for them, like to get them to play ball on fucking, uh, you know, uh, pulling oil out of the ground. Yeah, that's the piece that like everybody is trying to lean on now, which, as you were saying, was an old story from the time during, you know, the Trump administration itself. And I think all these things, you know, the speculation machine really does rely on people not having a familiarity with how this country works and, you know, sort of the foreign policy of this country, which is it is the policy of the United States to give nuclear weapons to countries that it considers to be critical allies in either the Cold War or in the post-Cold War order. So the U.S., gave nuclear weapons to Israel, for instance. The U.S. then used Israel to supply nuclear weapons to Pakistan. The U.S. and Israel also supplied nuclear reactors and the base material required to make nuclear weapons to apartheid South Africa, among other countries. The U.S. is the proliferator of nuclear weapons in the world, all right? If a country got it and they, you know, you can't find any evidence of any sort of development program that they had for those weapons, good chance the U.S. gave them the weapon, all mm-hmm. right? And I would be shocked if you couldn't find evidence, you know, if you had your ability to actually look in, you know, as we said before, everything is classified. It's actually a huge fucking problem. But let's say you were able to peek behind the curtain of every administration, probably since the eighties. Uh, I bet you they've all talked about nuclear transfers to, Sa- you know, to Saudi Arabia at various points, mm-hmm. debated the pros and cons. And for whatever reason, at various times have said no on it. But the point is, is they were, they, I mean, they were going to give one to <laughs> the Shah in Iran. <laughs> you know, the Iranian revolution is the only thing that stopped it. Uh, part of the irony of the U S complaint about Iranian nuclear programs today. I mean, this this is just the basics of U.S. foreign policy. So it's not particularly shocking to hear that the Trump administration debated it. Uh, I'd be curious what each administration's reason is for why they chose not to give it to the Saudis. I, I'm guessing they just think Saudi Arabia is too unstable. But I mean, fuck, apartheid South Africa was really fucking unstable in the late 70s when the U.S. basically allowed them to break the test ban treaty and test a nuclear weapon. I mean, so... You know, it's 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 hard to say, but uh, that that part of the story is, as far as I'm concerned, just not interesting, you know, other than the fact that it's just the U.S. is a disgusting imperial power that should be destroyed as quickly as possible for the fate of humanity and the sake of humanity. Yeah. But, you know, that's, yeah. that's really all you can say about that. I, yeah, I think it just what it what it means is someone's trying to, you know, someone this process that like we've been laughing at for like whatever like over a year now uh of the sort of reaction to january 6th and the end of the trump presidency in general like now these you know the hearings and like we're laughing because it's like just predicting like these are this going nowhere nothing's gonna happen i still think that's true yeah it's kind of it's kind of impressive the degree the duration to which it's gone on how much they've been able to wring out of it all the while again still really doing nothing and now you know compared to what's come before actually sending the fbi to you know trump's house to like get documents off him is mm-hmm. again it's very tame it's really still nothing but it's more than has happened and then dropping then and then dropping the insinuation designed to you know do what it's doing that he was that they were looking for nuclear secrets and let people's imagination run wild that like 
he was personally involved in the, some harebrained scheme to like pocket like probably a comically low amount of money for for like yeah. the plans <laughs> to a bomb is like it's it says that you know people in power what in what some piece of the power structure in this country something that has the ability to move the FBI uh are trying to put pressure on Trump and you know it's not to like right the wrongs it's not to like bring him to justice it's not to like it's not like an uh for an ideological struggle it's not to like decapitate like right-wing populism in America it's just to get him to go away mm-hmm. uh cuz that's what you do you like you lean on people and to get them to go away and i think what's uh funny about that in this case is like i don't like you do that in this country because people you know people from who come from within the power structure who get it who are like lifelong like electeds or lanyards or something like will understand like what that means and it means you 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 sort of go away or you back way off and like cool it you know if he backed way off if he stopped doing big rallies and stopped intimating he was going to run again but still like went on whatever fox and talk radio or whatever and still like tweeted on truth social or you know truth if he's still truth <laughs> like you know they'd probably you know everyone would calm down and they'd back off him and so i think someone's trying to some part of this system is trying to signal to him to go away like an ex-president is supposed to and just end the chapter on trump you know and just yeah. like retire and like you know be a crank can be a political crank and then die you know and anyone else would get that. But Trump, I don't see Trump getting that. I see Trump doesn't have, Trump's not Richard Nixon. Trump doesn't have a secret honor. Trump isn't, <laughs> has no commitment outside of himself in the immediate moment to like the American project, you know, like Nixon did when he resigned. Trump has, I think, like a more primitive more simplistic but also just more um common and natural like uh sense of politics that i think is how what you know is more the norm for the history of the world and even in many democracies or putative democracies you know like you know i i wouldn't be surprised if this convinces him he has to run Mm -hmm. because you you only get the signal if you're bought into the system if you like yeah understand this it's the people who believe like you have to keep this american project going because it has all these careful rules and signals in this structure that we can't let fall apart you know but like he doesn't have that so he's gonna think holy shit they're coming after me they want me in prison Mm -hmm. so i need to become president again and remain president for the rest of my life yeah yeah that's it's gonna motivate him like nothing else he is going to go out and win that fucking election if it's the last thing he does because he thinks it'll be the last thing he does if he doesn't you know if he loses 
That's that'd be my guess. Well, the problem is, too, is any deal you think you're making with Donald Trump. I mean, the way his brain works, even if he intended to follow along with it, he's forgotten it a day later. So, you know, the, the, this is not a good strategy. I'm now, proposing that it's an unspoken deal. But like, yeah, yeah. yeah if there's a, a spoken deal. Yeah. I well, mean, you can't make a deal with Donald Trump. Spoken or unspoken right now. You know, the thing is, for those who want a perp walk, one, I I, I think if they were going to no. if they really want a perp walk, they would have done it. But also, as we've said, since, you know, Trump was in office and things like that is uh, Trump has done many extremely well documented crimes that they involving real estate, money laundering, etc. Right. That if they wanted to arrest him and perp walk him, they could at any time. The problem being, of course, that everybody else in power in America also does every single one of those crimes. So, you know, that, you know, that is what puts us at the impasse or at where, you know, you have to, you know, build these fantasies up and things like that. But uh, I not, I'm expecting this to blow over in like three to four weeks and we'll, we'll see what happens. I think you're still getting Trump running in 20. As long as he's not dead, which I mean, he looks like shit. He's old as fuck. Like maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll die in between, but Outside of that, I expect to see him in the 2024 election. Now, that being said, uh, another blast from last week, you know, I feel like we're answering for our audio crimes here today. Uh, The restaurant wars started up on Twitter again. So, Greg, I'm going to read you these two takes that were given to us by at Borg Posting here, who got the screenshots. Uh, Here's take number one. It begins with all caps, this please this, which is always a sign here. You're in for something good. If you're a communist, in quotes for some reason, and you actively enjoy restaurants, especially wealthier ones, you're just a bourgeois sympathizer. Learn to cook <laughs> your own fucking meals. <laughs> so the, the yin to the yang of that one uh, was this tweet that was really blowing up Twitter and uh, I'll read you the the sort of response tweet this guy gave to his own initial tweet where he called cooking a performative act of luxury hobbyist consumption. He, Truth, he, speak, he preach. then replies to the discourse around that by saying recent Twitter discourse compels me to remind you home cooking is regressive, NIMBY aligned, problematically gendered and ultimately a means of reifying existing class structures. The revolution will not be prepared in your kitchen. It will be served to you at a restaurant. And uh, very funny, the revolutionary talk concerning his whole thing about restaurants was that, uh, you know, home cooking represents a market inefficiency that can be solved via the market efficiencies of restaurants. But whatever. Incredible. Uh, the language these people use is, we'll just say, malleable. I guess, you know, maybe the question is, where do we stand on the on the great cooking wars? Where do you stand on the great cooking wars, Greg? Are, is, are kitchens for bourgeois scum, are restaurants the true uh, home of the proletariat? Or vice versa? Learn to cook your own fucking meals. That's, uh, okay. I, I mean, so am I a bourgeois sympathizer or am i a uh home cook hobbyist uh a a luxury hobbyist um oof man uh i gotta say like these are both incredibly stupid takes (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> like shut the fuck up uh if you actively enjoy restaurants you're a boot are you're just a bourgeois sympathizer i mean it's like if uh like i obviously there's like that you could you could see that coming from a good place at first or for somewhere that makes any sense or something like at first like you're like yeah obviously everything like most things about restaurants under capitalism and you could say that's the concept of a restaurant period like are really toxic right like they're you know bad to work at they're they are the whole fucking process and experience is about being like served you know like like mm -hmm. your little taste of being the nobility you know uh for for what, an evening or whatever um uh you know, from it's like there's this like old world nobility aspect to it like you're posing you the the petty land owner you know are posing <laughs> as the uh the noble one and then there's also like the the just the um totally like uh processed and and distilled american version of that which is just like the customer is always right mindset you know which mm -hmm. weirdly has like passed consciously to the customer uh, by now in america so yeah awful but then but then the answer here the next sentence is learn to cook your own fucking meals it's like a oh, fuck you i mean <laughs> i cook i've always cooked but well, like you can you can uh, the the horizon of this the like political social horizon of this is so uh sadly shallow right like it, you you could it's so easy to imagine uh a better way to like eat outside of your own fucking home once in a while or possibly every day in a way that isn't uh the the cap the restaurant experience under capitalism both either as a worker or uh, a diner uh that's like very easy to imagine uh i'm not necessarily one uh to get caught up writing recipes for the uh cook shops of the future but um <laughs> Like, I imagine there will be cook shops of the future, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, like, but, you know, so to go, f you know, like, yeah, critique a restaurant all you want. But, like, no, we don't know. You don't have to cook all your fucking meals. And then. Well, uh, before we move on, let's we'll stay on that yeah. for a second. I mean, the 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 shallowness of the analysis is shown in the fact that, yes, restaurants are exploitative places. So yeah. are grocery stores. So is the whole food production, you know, process and everything and like so that. So is the right? home kitchen. Yeah. So is all you know the all those things you purchase in the home kitchen are the product of exploited relationships. It's like, yeah, you know, this is a classic. You criticize society that you live in society kind of scenario, right? Where it's like, you know, uh, every commodified relationship under capitalism is exploitative, right? And so, yes, you can point at anything and be like, oh, I can't believe you do that. You that's that's just, I guess, uh, what being a bourgeois sympathizer or whatever. But the reality is, is this is what happens to your brain when you perceive politics as a personal moral journey. You know, mm -hmm. like I, this is my journey of personal self-improvement. 
And so I've decided in my head restaurants are for bourgeois pigs. So instead, I'm going down to my local non-union grocery store, uh, buying up a bunch of food that was, you know, grown by, you know, immigrant laborers who are abused by America's immigration system, transported via fossil fuels across the country. Grown you know. with fossil fuel inputs, you know. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just going to feel good about it because I don't have to see any of that when I'm cooking it in my kitchen, right? Uh, that's that's just, again, personal morality shit. That has nothing to do with actual politics. Now, you know, to be fair, this person's probably young, like everybody on social media. And those are the kind of things you come up with when you're young. Uh, I think the other guy, which we're about to start talking about a little bit more, I think what he's offering is actually a little more nefarious than just goofy. You know, the other one's goofy. This one, I think, is actually a little nefarious. <laughs> but anyways, go ahead, Greg, with the, with our with our second option here of uh, actually home cooking is for bourgeois pigs and I mean, the restaurant NIMBY, is for rest, the working man. Yeah, home cooking being <laughs> NIMBY aligned is uh, is a choice phrase and gives away a lot here mm-hmm. um the, the the diseased uh mind of the uh educated the overeducated urbanist is uh is whirring away um i mean I, ultimately like i am somewhat like in the broadest sense more sympathetic to like if I again, if I have to like be writing res- a recipe book for the cookshops of the future here, I'm like, yeah, I'd rather if you had to choose between everybody uh, has to like for moral reasons cook all their own meals in their own home. That sounds like a, a hell on <laughs> yeah, earth awful. for everyone, and and the other choice being like every in in our in the you know communist utopia of the future, everyone goes down to the neighborhood commissary to like see what's uh you know being offered up by the nice uh uh lunch people you know uh the lunch workers you know i'll take i'll take door number two okay but like that's not uh, what he's offering that's not no no like no uh so there's some there's some weird shit going on cooking as a performative act of luxury hobbyist consumption i mean it certainly it certainly is again like there's things to sympathize with here because like there is a culture in america that is that right i mean all of the 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 cooking tv the you know your the cooking content is all about that and like that's you know Mm -hmm. uh the you know buying upstairs of any coals is all about that yeah yeah like and and whole foods right like Mm -hmm. uh your your um shishi organic grocery stores like i shop at uh, the pcc (laughs) you know like they're an experience that is uh based on that though i will say i i subvert this guy's uh whole program here by going to the shishi urban uh organic grocery store and eating 60% 60% of my meals from the, the PCC commissary. Uh, I, I go up to the hot bar. I get my you're, lunch. You're the guy go, saying, why not both? You know? Yeah. I go, I'm at the grocery store getting my pre-made meals from, from the cold deli and the hot bar. Honestly, it's some of the best, uh, like value for uh pizza by the slice in my neighborhood. Um, yeah. So why not both? <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think, you know, in his sort of original tweet where he's talking about market inefficiencies, uh, that, of course, is what Creepy. raised my uh, <laughs> antenna right there. It essentially just goes on and he keeps saying, like, look, we're wasting like 80 to 200 square feet per dwelling on uh, kitchens and stuff. And you might say, like, oh, yeah, if we had our, uh, yes, our local neighborhood commissary to go to and get our treats from, uh, we'd have extra space in our apartment. Wrong. Wrong. That's not what he's saying. No. What he's saying is, how can we shove you into a pod, into increasingly smaller square footage, so that we could uh, use the real estate in downtown urban areas for what we want to use it for, which is, of course, what its purpose is financial investments right yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that's the actual heart of this freak's argument that's why i say it's like i think it's a little more nefarious than oh, the totally. other one like this is about like hey uh hey urban worker why not revise down your expectations significantly <laughs> Uh, because uh not the price of things but you know what you're going to get for that price uh because we, we would like to steal some space from you now as far as the restaurant stuff goes uh that he goes on a long uh let's just say telling on himself thing about how no matter how well you cook it'll never be as good as a restaurant which is a weird thing to say but uh hey look some people are good cooks I and mean, they, they enjoy cooking as a process that's you know? like the um why why do I I immediately think of like the uh like that's like that's the kind of argument that's like why we have women's sports, you know? Uh gender segregated sports, like Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the Venn diagram is actually mostly overlap, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like most restaurants are very overlap. bad and yeah. uh, most people can cook well enough to feed themselves, you know? <laughs> like yeah and i mean it, it also like i mean some people actually just enjoy doing it it's very funny i mean these guys can't yeah. imagine enjoying anything but that being said as somebody who does a lot of cooking in our house and we do a lot of like cooking from scratch and stuff like that and, and you're it does, both great cooks yeah and it does uh kind of fucking suck sometimes and i get why people don't like it it takes a lot of time it's not as cheap as people make it out to be uh all this kind of stuff but, uh, you know, I mean, the problem, as always, is not does your apartment have a kitchen? The problem is the relationships that capitalism foists upon you uh, that make these things suck. Right. So yeah, having the to work costs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Having to work so many hours that cooking becomes an unbearable task after yeah. work. Right. The being squeezed at every end. Uh, the fact that most people cook at home because they can't afford to go out, which is, you know, nobody like responders brought this up quite a bit. But none of the people having this conversation ever seem to want to bring up, which shows, I think, their starting point. But, uh, you know, it's like so, you know, cooking at home becomes less a fun leisure activity, as this guy suggested, and more just a another burden put on people by the fact that they have no fucking money. Uh, and then going out to restaurants is fucking expensive uh a lot of restaurants are not good um you know like there's a lot of reasons to maybe not want to go out to restaurants either all of those things uh made worse by the exploitative commodity relationship the capitalism puts everything in so well, like this is just like every fucking urbanist like tirade or obsession it's conversations they're having with other like urban 
professional wealthy people that just have nothing to do with like it's these also a like a moral uh politics that that really are just about talking to other urban professionals and like being catty about how you should act you know like oh uh, you know you you sh you have a car uh, why don't you bike more or something and like uh you He's trying to have a, like a, a fight about like cooking with your like uh, taking your cooking classes and going to Tuscany to learn to make like fucking pasta or something and uh, shopping in Whole Foods. Well, I guess going from uh, one weird sort of urban professional politics to another suspect <laughs> urban professional politics, uh, you know, we're, we're just we're shooting scattershot today. In The Stranger this week, a friend of the show, Rich Smith, dared to write an article where he suggested that, uh, you know, a, a poll was taken of people in the Seattle area that they would prefer a diplomatic solution to Russia's war with Ukraine, and that maybe Representative Adam Smith should uh, take that uh, to Congress with him and push for some sort of diplomatic solution. And luckily... Uh, you know, this this got out on the airwaves, this got out to the interwebs. Mm -hmm. But luckily, a local sleuth uh, was able to spot the Russian disinformatia uh, at play and uh, asked the, the poignant question, why is the stranger publishing weird pro-capitulation propaganda pro on, the, on the war in Ukraine? Promoted by a controversial think tank that has been credibly accused of being pro-Putin. First of all, no one in America has ever been credible, credibly accused of being pro-Putin. Lots of people <laughs> have been accused. <laughs> what uh, does that even mean? Like, what would that even insane. mean? Like, that, what does that mean? Like, insane. Credibly, credibly accused. Like, one, what does it mean to be credibly accused? And two, what is, what is the definition of being pro-Putin? Does that just disagreeing with U.S. policy at, at, on any level? Which is what it means. I mean, let's be serious. It just means yeah. disagreeing with U.S. policy. But, uh, like, I mean, hysterical. I mean, just like, come on. <laughs> you know? Uh, but yes, also the pro-capitulation propaganda pro on the war in Ukraine. Oh, really? I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, like, you know, this is funny. This is classic Erica Barnett. Does good, like, local reporting. You know, day <laughs> in, like, knocking reporter. out. No, he's a very good <laughs> she reporter. She's a good reporter, but and she has lip brain. <laughs> an insane, like, MSNBC lib or something. Just, like, yeah. just, like, the class just has her head in the weirdest places uh that are hard to really even like understand uh pro capitula i mean fuck you seriously that's somebody's <laughs> country where somebody people are dying and their country's being destroyed <laughs> yes! like easy for you to say to sit here in america a journalist half on the other side of the fucking globe in like a city no one's bombing and uh and like accuse people who are who have responded to a poll saying they'd rather there wasn't a war if if there was a choice between <laughs> no war and war they would choose no war and insinuating that these people are all pro putin 
And uh, imagine that the phrase pro capitulation by saying mm-hmm. at, at saying you would like and then publishing the results of and uh, suggesting that this is a positive political program to push for a peaceful diplomatic solution to a war currently ongoing in which people are dying is pro capitulation that has such a baroque like old timey ring to it that sounds like something out of the mouth of like woodrow wilson or something that's like it sounds like a hundred years old like (laughs) pro capitulation (laughs) propaganda it's it's incredible stuff um it, yeah, I mean, it's not just that this is an actual war that's happening where actual human beings are being killed or actual the ask their homes are peace. being destroyed. The yeah. ask is peace. It's like the, the question the is, do you think peace is good? Would you like to see a diplomatic solution or are you so fanatically dedicated to the United States uh, foreign policy like uh, apparatuses? commitment to uh you know to checking the power of putin and 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 russia that you would prefer every last ukrainian fight to the death than Mm. than a negotiated peace be arranged yeah which by the way is what ends every fucking war i mean this pro capitulation talk is the reason why it feels so old timey is it's the kind of stuff that you tell babies. Like yeah. every war ends with diplomatic negotiations. Yeah. yeah. This is how you end wars. Uh, because, you know, unless you kill every single individual, you're going to have to have some sort of negotiated settlement. And as Charles Bedetti responded, it was basically like, uh, how about because Ukraine's not going to win? this war against russia so we should have a diplomatic settlement now instead of bleeding the country and the thing is like currently that appears to very much be the case is that that's the policy and that's the 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 fucking kool-aid that erica is drinking is this you know this american you know the state department line that's like yeah we got to keep keep this going to 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 you know check putin and save ukraine but all what they're doing is fighting a proxy war in which Ukrainians are the pawns that are just going to be yeah. ground into dust. And that's the point. That's that is the American policy is to keep this going as long as possible to bleed Russia. And yeah. the tool they're using to bleed Russia is Ukrainian blood. Well, of course, you know, you got the same argument in the 1980s when the U.S. was funding the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. about like, oh, you know, we can't be capitulationists or whatever the Mujahideen. Got to let that war keep going. Uh, turned out great for the people of Afghanistan, right? Same thing in Libya. I remember you would get this from you know, Libs during the U.S. Uh, bombing of Libya. But they were like, oh, you know, we got to (laughs) support this war. I mean, to do anything otherwise, I mean, that's just pro-Qaddafi. That's, you know, pro-capitulation or whatever. I mean, Syria is the fresh one. Syria. We've got to support these off-brand Al-Qaeda and uh, ISIS (laughs) uh, regiments, because if you don't, you're an Assadist, you know? Yeah, we have to flood this region with weapons. We have to empower the worst people in it, right? You see, chaos and murder, you know, and just like (laughs) a country being torn apart and like 
dozens of factions all fighting each other over the bodies of civilians like is is good because you know that's going to be bad for Assad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll make it hard for Assad to rule it, right? You know, or in yeah. the case of Libya, <laughs> newsflash. That's... I mean, yeah, I... I mean, they got what they wanted in it, it worked in Libya. That's that's the terrifying thing, right? Like, yeah, like that. The best case scenario, the win, where actually, uh, like Gaddafi's gone, like mm-hmm. is Libya, right? Well, it's also like one of the worst places to be on the planet. You know, like I, you'd probably it'd be better to be hanging out in Ukraine right now than Libya. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's very funny, you know, so she expounds on this further, uh, saying, I encourage anyone who wants to check out their website referring to the it's like the Council on Responsible Statecraft, which appears to be just an entirely milk toast, uh, you know, sort of foreign policy uh, group, you know. But, yeah, uh, probably is stupid. Probably, probably is oh, like a yeah, yeah. We'll get to that a, in a second. But, you know, like, <laughs> but it's like if he wants to check out their website where they and this is you know she's explaining how ridiculous and pro Putin this organization is, where they mock the idea that Putin supports fascism. I mean, honestly, depending on what you mean by fascism, that is stupid. Trash Pelosi for going to Taiwan. I mean, Biden's White House did too. I mean, her going to Taiwan was fucking stupid. And blame the U.S. for a lack of progress on diplomacy with North Korea. I'll just leave it at uh, she should listen to the blowback series. Wow. Um, let's Wait leave it at that. So, I mean, so, so everything that, she talks so about them it, doing is correct, by the way. Like, Pelosi was stupid to go to Taiwan. It was a needless I mean, imagine The U.S. Imagine, is responsible for the lack of progress on diplomacy on the Korean Peninsula. And, you know, I mean, the Putin fascism, what I mean, it's like, whatever. That just depends on what you mean by fascism, I guess. But, like, that's just yeah. how, like, uh, committedly i don't even know what the pill she's taken is like you can't it's just MSNBC even... stuff this is just yeah, MSNBC it is that. Talk, she's, you know? a, she's a she's she's a madow head gotta be man like what else yeah. can it me- mean to be to be because it's not even like reflexively like lib dem it's like look there, there was a public debate within the democratic party at the highest levels how whatever degree it was kayfabe whatever like it was public that the Biden administration even didn't yeah. like Pelosi going to Ukraine, but the 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 uh, the like CIA, State Department, for, foreign policy like blob wing, the the uh, the Rhodes Scholar, fucking Rachel Maddow, uh, you know, media lane is all about that shit is all about you know we're we got to challenge we got to fight two simultaneous cold wars with china and russia (laughs) yeah i mean something the u.s will definitely win it seems like a good uh way to you know keep the planet going for another several thousand years but i want to queue up like uh so you know there's got to be like a clip of rachel maddow like uh claiming you know calling bullshit on the sino-soviet split you know right <laughs> like, <laughs> like no i don't buy it right that was that was that just has kayfabe. to exist right that was just kayfabe to get us to this point where the, uh-huh. the you know, china and russia are a one yeah i mean you know it's so funny because then you know uh feeling that maybe these examples she gave might be a little weak right feel like a little weak tea she then posted an article from them saying, here's the place to start, you know, understand the ridiculousness. 
And it's a very short piece. It's not even like really a policy position or anything. It's just a very short piece about there may be elements within the Taliban worth engaging responsibly. And the basic thing is like, we should probably try and negotiate with the Taliban over some things. And the funny part is she presents it as if this is insane. This is the words of madmen that they want to negotiate with the Taliban. I want to make it clear from 1990 all the way up until the U.S. left Afghanistan in 2021, the only time period where this was not the official policy of the United States was 2012 to 2011 or 2002, sorry, to 2011, right? The beginning of the invasion in 2002, all the way up to the failure of the surge in 2011. That is the only time period over the last 30 years where negotiating with the Taliban, Taliban. Yeah, we're negotiating with the Taliban. That's the entire existence of the Taliban. Only yeah. nine years of that has it been the U.S. policy not to negotiate with them. It, like, this thing that she's, like, saying is, this is an insane, irresponsible position. It's like, that's literally the position of the U.S. government. Like, I again, I'm not saying that that's a good position or the U.S. has done good things in Afghanistan, but it's like, you're a fucking reporter, you idiot. Like... <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? Well, it's like, <laughs> look, know? this, this is just like what we talked about with the Trump stuff. This works because nobody in America knows anything about foreign policy, right? That's the only way yeah, this shit or works. History, you know? you know? Or history, you know? And I mean, right? that's, that, yeah. this comes up a lot. You know, this isn't like, this isn't Barnett's lane, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and, but it's always funny when she, like, like, re- reveals, like, what, who she's listening to you know the kind of voices that you know the kind of propaganda she's like drinking up that she doesn't report on in her normal reporting just occasionally goes off on on twitter anyway uh you know that's yeah. that's part of you know living in uh neoliberal hell that we do is sometimes uh even the the people yeah the people you you end up relying on for good like local re- like beat reporting are insane yeah yeah well speaking of local beat reporting uh you know we got it right before uh we started talking about recording today from hannah krieg at vladimir putin's the stranger uh Mm -hmm. gonna spell krieg with like a backward k now and stuff but (laughs) uh hannah krieg uh confirm the hiring incentives bill for seattle police department passes six to three Sawant, Morales, and Mosqueda vote no. And just to remind people, this is uh, Krieg's summation on The Stranger itself. Uh, After a long, long saga, the city council voted to authorize the Seattle Police Department to dig into its deep pockets and offer lateral recruits up to $30,000 and new recruits up to $7,500 in hiring bonuses. So this, of course is in reference to the fact that uh, nobody wants to work anymore. No police officers want to work anymore. Hmm. And, and Seattle PD can't hire anybody. Uh, so they are going to try offering these uh, quite sizable bonuses to win people away from other departments or to win uh, new recruits. Uh, pretty pretty exciting stuff. Uh, how do you think it's going to work out, Greg? Uh, I think, like, I don't know. I mean, that's a real... I mean, is the program going to be effective? Are they going to be able to hire more cops? I mean, I guess. I don't know. Cops like money. Like, uh, (laughs) they already get paid so much that, like, you know, Seattle's already at the top, like, of, you know, uh, cop salaries. 
So yeah. if that's what you're looking at to make your decision of like where to go, like, I don't know, is the extra like, you know, problem, pro- you know, it's these things vary. So let, you know, probably the average someone's going to qualify for is like, you know, something a little over 10 grand or something, right? Like, is that going to make the difference? I don't know. Um, I think it doesn't matter. I think that's not the fucking point. I think this is all a this the a gross exercise in uh a t- like a, a, an attempted exorcism of the demons of the 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 crazy the left wing Seattle City Council the communist council uh, defunding the police in 2020 mm-hmm. like they famously did and uh, this yeah. is re- this is refunding them they all want to run on this or just talk about it in various newspapers. Uh, for the rest of their public life like yep i voted to give hiring bonuses because that's some dumb idea somebody came up with uh it's all it's all just political narrative right there's the there's the narrative that they defunded the police didn't happen the there's two little bits of things that did happen that will sort of be every time it's brought up in every you know policing or crime or public safety related article in the seattle times we just read that dog shit from uh talton about you know westlake square Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago where he said just like blithely said you know uh, you know after the police were defunded blah 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 uh (laughs) the things that get brought up in the articles are you know obliquely that sort of seem to lend some credence is that uh, depart the police department's numbers did drop uh starting in 2020 somewhat they lost more than they hired this is because a lot of cops just you know a few of them a few a, a higher than normal percentage decided to retire early and the other thing is that they chopped a piece of the department off and put it in other city departments the the 911 call center and the the uh parking cops um so like you know on paper there's this reduction in budget these things talked about all the time they're what people hear about that the number of cops dropped that we don't have enough police and that it has to do with defunding the police that it's the money and this is the perfect little you know Mm -hmm. perfect little story to run on to go out and say you did it's those are the two things you've heard that are why we're in this horrifying crime wave and that's uh what's going to solve it right oh we need more cops. We need to give them hiring bonuses. And if we're giving them hiring bonuses, that must mean we refunded the police. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as uh, the sort of shortage of police officers, I mean, one reason for that is the fact that all police officers were like taking colloidal silver or whatever instead of getting vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shit ton of them just died of COVID. I mean, so part of the That's shortage true, of yeah. police departments in America is related to their own personal fucking stupidity as opposed to, you know, any other thing. Uh, the other part is, you know, I do think that it becoming more public that people making their feelings more known about how much they despise the fucking scumbags that work in police departments makes the job less attractive you know for people when there's multiple layers of why you become a cop like it's different it's a different mix for some Mm -hmm. guys it's more uh the license for brutality uh for some it's more the 
the daily respect uh, of passersby mm-hmm. and citizens on the street, you know, the nod and smile and the hello officer and the, yeah. the deference, you know, uh, it's a mix of all of those things. Right. Uh, and to uh, those who, you know, like it's, it's about the, the public respect that maybe they want. Yeah. They'd rather be in some, some place where uh, people are stupid um yeah. or just whiter and richer uh yeah, yeah. and have no not much less reason to fear and hate the police uh so you know they're gonna work there you know yeah yeah and i think the other part of it too is you know i i covered this uh several years ago in jack FM, but a lot of schools and stuff particularly in inner city areas that tend to be more black right schools have started running programs for students on how to interact with the police as if the police mm-hmm. are like wild animals that you run into yeah. in the street. And it's like how to not get murdered by the police program, right? You know, like Baltimore runs these, Chicago runs these. And the thing is, it's like those kids have, you know, on some level, those kids have to be future recruits for the police department yes. if it's going to keep existing, right? And I think that the messaging of, you know, for police recruitment is being damaged a bit by the fact that there's such enormous pieces of shit and are always being caught on camera, brutalizing people, murdering people, and just being general pieces of shit, right? And that makes uh, the job of recruiting them difficult. I mean, the question of is it an issue the money? I was just I just looked up the median pay for Seattle PD, right? That means the police officer exactly in the middle, you know, listed lowest to highest paid, the guy right exactly in the middle makes $158,000 a year. All right. So I don't think the money is the issue. They're getting paid a lot of fucking money, like way more money than most people. Police officers are in the top 5% of earners in most cities. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, uh, the highest paid city employee is a police officer. You know, uh, that's true in Seattle. I'm going to venture, I guess, probably true in every city in America. I think it's one of those things that all they know how to do is throw money at it. But, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be the ultimate uh, resolution to the problem. Uh, how is America going to get, you know, America, which is addicted to police, how are we going to get our policing fix? You know, I don't know. Maybe there are only one million scumbags in America at any one time. You know, maybe you can't push that number higher. Who knows? And, and you know, that's a real uh, that could be a real spiral too you know like i don't know could could the overall population of police like get any worse as you thin some of them out who like <laughs> can't can't take the heat you know uh yeah. that's debatable but what if it could you know yeah, yeah. what if oh. if you can only recruit really the absolute worst shitheads like <laughs> of the sh- like they're already like cops are just the worst just whatever the the shittiest people in america the the worst scumbags of certain types but what if you could only recruit like the 50 percent of that group that cohort from now on who are the worst you know like mm-hmm. then then they're just, it's just gonna spiral and get worse and worse you know that's an yeah. interesting uh yeah thing to think about is like is that the way out of this that they just can't get anyone to be a cop anymore like how much do you have to pay i think at some point like as shit gets worse economically for people you know like the bonus isn't good like the 
the bonus, like the hiring bonus isn't going to matter. It's the, it's the base pay as a career that is going to attract people Mm -hmm. Uh, in there. You know, you'll have, you know, watch it become a more kind of active recruiting like the army has to do and is failing at currently. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Another organization that cannot meet its recruitment goals. Yeah. Not even close. Um, but like, that's what they're, you know, but I mean, where do you do that? I mean, to do you, you're not going to get kids coming out of school who have any kind of idea of anything else to do have gone, who've, you know, are hip to these things. They've done these school programs. Like you're not going to be able to have, even if a lot of, and a lot of school districts aren't going to allow cops to come in and like recruit actively. Some probably do right now, but, um, but probably less and less as time goes on. So I don't know what they're going to have to like do the market research and target like certain communities of like, yeah, you know, early twenties, like some people have been out of, high school and maybe like uh a few years out of dropped out of college at some point in certain like some kind of communities that they find that are on the edge in a way in a targetable way that you can be like hey look you can this is like joining the army like people poor people did for so long in america and so many places except there's no possibility that you know of right now of getting sent to some other country for a war. You're going to be a cop here in America and it's not even a long contract. You can go to like some other city if you want, you know, mm-hmm. that's what, it, you know, that that's there. There it is right there. It just becomes uh, what the army was for poor people, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I kind of wonder, you know, to the extent that, uh, I mean, the other problem that the police have recruiting is that the police have become so thoroughly associated with Donald Trump, right? And the figure of Donald Trump. Uh police Have you- they? Yes, yes. Please. But what? I mean to to most people, to us, yeah, we get it. But like I, I think to a lot of people, I think that's also part of their problem with like reaching because the thing is they have to reach out to young people and recruit them into these, you know, various organizations they have that are like pipelines into police academies. And I think the association between MAGA chuds, you know, sort of Republicans, whatever, right? And the police are are strong because of the George Floyd protests, quite frankly. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. I, I, to, to certainly and, to young people and anyone who was in the street um, mm-hmm. during in 2020. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah. To the to the Amer- American polity at large, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. I, I but think for I, anybody but the, the recruitable population, yeah, I buy that. Yeah, yeah, I think that for anybody that's had any interaction, like social interaction with police officers, like in a you know social setting, not a work setting, uh, I think too, like all that's pretty obvious. I mean, again, just the poli- general conservatism. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It on certainly on the level, I think it reads whether people think of it like super consciously or like mm-hmm. depending on how political you are. But like you understand, there's a there's a cultural divide. There's a cultural political divide in America. There's conservatives, there's liberals. And everyone gets that even in the cities, even in big cities like Seattle, most people get that the cops are conservative. Yeah. And in yeah. America right now, that means MAGA. Yeah. And I think that that also, you know, is probably affecting their ability to recruit people. All, you know, all this to say that I think the 
answer that the only answer that we can give in like the neoliberal state, which is just plow money into the police department, you know, I mean, like everything else, they might find that that's just not working anymore, you know, like that they are gonna have to approach this from some other direction. Of course, you know, no state apparatus has any answer other than this, though. So it's, you know, look, uh, it's it's a problem that we don't mind the city having, uh, that they have no yeah. imaginative way to add police officers. Uh, but, you know, just a, a further interesting look at, you know, I mean, the American ruling class's inability to get even the things it wants done done, you know, increasingly, it seems like. Well, now, hey, listen, you know, Andrew Lewis, uh, my uh, council person you know, said at this uh, council meeting where he voted yes for these hiring bonuses, he, you know, he pointed out very astutely that, uh, as, as quoted by Hannah Creek, there's no constitutional society that doesn't have police with a, quote, monopoly on force to enforce a social contract. So <laughs> they better find a way. There, there you go. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, you pass fifth grade civics. All right. Well, fucking, fucking moron. What a uh, fucking dipshit. <laughs> well, on to another labor story. This one, uh, we're going to read through a, quickly, uh, give a little summary of a New York Times article that just came out that I just think is interesting. Uh, speaking of policing, speaking of labor, this story it came out a couple of days ago. It's called On the Clock and Track to the Minute. And I'm just going to go ahead and, and read from the article here. A few years ago, Carol Kramer, a longtime finance executive, took a new job. Her title, vice president, was impressive. The compensation was excellent. $200 an hour. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but her first paychecks seemed a bit low. Her new employer, which used extensive monitoring software on its all remote workers, uh, on all its remote workers, Jesus, typo, New Yorker, New York Times, paid them only for the minutes when the system detected active work. Worse, Miss Kramer noticed what that the, the software fuck? did not come close to capturing her labor. Offline work, doing math problems on paper, reading printouts, thinking, didn't register and required approval as manual time. Oh my God. In managing the organization's finances, Ms. Kramer oversaw more than a dozen people, but mentoring them didn't always leave a digital impression. If she forgot to turn on her time tracker, she had to appeal to be paid at all. Well, listen, I mean, it's simple, lady. Like, yeah, you fill out the little ledger uh, requesting approval for manual time, and at the and at the bottom of every week, you bill many, many hours for calculating your manual time and <laughs> appeals. Uh -huh. Add that into there. Make sure that yeah. you itemize it. Itemize that shit, man. Like <laughs> you just you just bill every hour you can. That's how you got to think about that. He's just like you're on like lawyer time, you know. <laughs> well, she responded to this by saying, "Quote." You're supposed to be a trusted member of your team, but there was never any trust that you were working for the team, she said of her work. Uh, welcome to capitalism. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how everybody's uh, job is. But uh, let's continue down here. Since the dawn of modern offices, 
Workers have orchestrated their actions by watching the clock. Now, more and more, the clock is watching them. In Soviet Russia, clock watches you. In lower, <laughs> in lower paying jobs, the monitor, uh, the monitoring is already ubiquitous. Not just at Amazon, where the second by second measurements became notorious, but also for Kroger cashiers, UPS drivers, and millions of others. Eight of the ten largest private U.S. employers track the productivity metrics of individual workers, many in real time, according to an examination by the New York Times. Now, digital productivity monitoring is also spreading among white-collar jobs. Now we get to why they're concerned. And roles that require graduate degrees. Many employees, whether working remotely or in person, are subject to trackers, scores, idle buttons, or just quiet, constantly accumulating records. Pauses can lead to penalties from lost pay to lost jobs. Some radiologists see scoreboards showing their inactivity time and how their productivity stacks up against their colleagues. At oh. companies, at companies including J.P. Morgan, tracking how employees spend their days from making phone calls to composing emails has become routine practice. In Britain, Barclays Bank scrapped uh, prodding messages to workers like, quote, not enough time in the zone yesterday. <laughs> After I would caused feel... an uproar. <laughs> I I that's so <laughs> fucked up. I would I would be so crushed to see my name even one place above the bottom of the leaderboard. Like I I would I would just be <laughs> devastated to come into work and see that that Larry had like eked out the spot below me, the like down on the red line like next to be fired. I I I, I would I'd be beside myself if I allowed that to happen. <laughs> if I if if I was did not hold that bottom spot. And hey, if that means not making it through the end of the week, I mean yeah, and okay, so the New York Times, they, they sort of sum this up, you know, uh, they say architect, architects, academic, administrators, doctors, nursing home workers, and lawyers described growing electronic surveillance over every minute of their workday. They echoed complaints that employees in many lower paid positions have voiced for years, that their jobs are relentless. And nobody cared. Yep, especially the people mentioned above, that their jobs uh, are relentless. The people publishing this. <laughs> yeah, no shit, that they don't have control. And in some cases that they don't even have enough time to use the bathroom. And I think, you know, a lot of the 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 fighting online and the left about the PMC and all this kind of stuff, right, was, you know, on one hand, it refers to something that is like kind of ephemerally real. But mm -hmm. in reality, it's just like anger uh if you live in an urban area of these like professional class workers who seem to have nothing but free time on their hands and make boatloads of money and all this kind of shit right and are personally very annoying and stupid yeah yeah and i think that was like the root of all that but the thing about capitalism is uh the machine comes for everybody you know and everybody ultimately gets, you know, forced, you know, to the clock, right? You know, yeah. I mean, this, the PMC existed for the last hundred years to design and build this part of the machine. Yeah. That has now come for them. 
Yeah, yeah. These are the Taylorists who are now shocked that yeah. all their all their movements are being measured. You know, yeah, Cause, exactly. Because they had always it's... in their mind said, "Well, that's for those people down there." You yeah. know, not me. You know, um, yep. they have uh, been shocked to find that uh, this treatment is demoralizing, humiliating, and toxic, according to uh, their you know responses to the Times and. You know, if I feel when I'm alienated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And I mean, uh, this discussion about time and the desire of the capitalist to master the workers time. I mean, you know, you can go all the way back to, you know, Marx running capital in the 1860s. Right. When he says that, you know, capitalists are obsessed with time because seconds are the elements of profit. Right. You know, the fight over the working day. This is why they fight to the death over, you know, controlling your work hours and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um the article it goes on to sort of explain some of the ways uh that they capture this activity as well as explaining you know uh let's let's i'll read a little here uh the most urgent complaint spanning industries and incomes is that the working world's uh new clocks are just wrong inept at capturing offline activity unreliable at assessing hard to quantify tasks yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and yeah. prone to undermining Oopsie. the work itself. Grocery cashiers said the pressure to quickly scan items degraded customer service, making it harder to be patient with elderly shoppers who move slowly. So the other part of this story is how many people in America really don't understand like what their boss's goal is and what the function of their job is. Like, you know, this idea that, yeah, as you said, that this is inept, right? That this is a whoopsie. Uh, it must be a whoopsie because it's not allowing me to give the, uh, you know, uh, customer service that I'm used to giving el- the elderly woman who comes and, you know, buys $5 worth of fruit every week. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's the point. The point is to move that person through and fuck them if they're having a hard time you know, kick their ass through the line, right? Because the more people you shove through the line, yep, the more people you shove through the line, the more money the store makes. Or in the case of these office workers are saying, I mean, it must be some sort of accident that this is like demoralizing and humiliating. It's like, that's not an accident. Or or it's like, (laughs) it's, you know, if, if the system, if our bosses, if, the corporation of whoever designed this system, the engineers only understood the yeah. effect it was having on psychologically on, on morale on, and really, you know, on the quality of work we're putting out and uh, they would, you know, they would, that's why good. Thank God it's being published in the New York times. So everyone can get their head straight on this, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure this is all going to turn around tomorrow when employers read this and go, oh, my God. The- I mean, how many times how many times <laughs> have you had these conversations like at work on a job where people are like, gosh, you know, like, I just want to do a good job here, you know, like, and mm-hmm. this is like kind of stepping on my like ability to do that. This like new rule or this way this manager is like uh, micromanaging or like this, you know, whatever other bullshit like, you know, this could all like this this could all run, you know, people will use the language of like market efficiency or something or like try to couch it in terms of like, oh, that this would be good for the business. You know, this uh, if we did it this way, that didn't like make work hell, you know, and seem insane, you know, mm-hmm. and just seem like uh, crazy making. 
And I'm always the guy who says, like, yeah, I mean, like, it it gets done though, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like this happens. Like, this happens. This is a work for me a lot because, like, it's different all the time. You know, like you're a different people are coming together working for different companies, different clients, and like, so from the top, someone's doing something stupid and like, and like doesn't set something up right, doesn't staff something right. And like, oh, there, there's mm. an example. Oh, you're short staffed and it's chaotic. And it's like, oh, there's a right way to do something. And now, like, it's not getting done right. And like, so, you know, it's not getting it unprofessionally and smoothly. And we don't look good doing it to our bosses, even or to the clients or like to the customer. And I'm the guy who says, like, yeah, but we're doing it. It's getting done and they're mm-hmm. paying less for it. So, it is working. It's it's actually working great. Like, yeah, this is think... it. This is it. This is this job going great. <laughs> yeah, what people I people only hear that, you know. Yeah, I think you know, like when I worked at uh, like the last machine shop I was at, you know, they would have this obsession with like kinetic activity, right? So you'd always mm-hmm. get yelled at of like, oh, we looked out on the floor and we saw somebody just standing there, right? People weren't just moving around all the time. And the thing about a machine shop is the equipment you're running is very expensive, right? The parts that come out are move. very expensive. Doesn't yeah. you don't chase it around the shop? Like. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's not like uh, some piece of uh, like Dune technology that's also part animal and moves around. No, uh, it's it's stable, right? It's also very expensive, and a big part of what you're doing when you're sitting around is making sure that the machine's running properly, that you know, like fluid levels are where they need to be. There's all sorts of little things that you're doing, right? You're checking parts to make sure that they're still good, so they're not just running parts off that are bad and all this kind of stuff, right? All of which, you know, saves the company money, blah, blah, blah. You could say all this shit. But the reality is the way American companies are run is they're run by guys with MBAs, Mm -hmm. which means that there's not a single manager in all of America who actually knows what the company does, how it works or how it happens. Right. All they know is weird libertarian bromides that were fed to them via literal children's books that they're given in, you know, while getting their MBA in college, right? Like, you know, the how does it, you know, was it, how do you keep a mouse from stealing your cheese or whatever that shit is? You know, the literal children's books that they read that give them these libertarian ideas that if the ants aren't running around, they're not working. And the faster you make them run around, the faster everything works right and they believe that right and so they you know come out and they try and then enforce that on the floor or whatever now the problem of course being that that does not actually make things more productive and usually companies begin these little tailspins and things like that which only encourages them to double down harder on these ideas because they don't have any other ideas now once again the problem that we're talking talking about about decline is what yes. you're, you're describing. <laughs> We're talking about decline. We're talking about the Ill- ideological rigidity of capitalism itself. Yeah. And we're talking about something that I think these PMC workers never thought that they were going to have to think about in their jobs or anything like that, which is what your boss demands more than anything else, more than profits even, is control. control. And this is actually about control. Now, just to drill that ho- point home a little bit, The New York Times, of course, has to both sides this. So they say, 
But many employers, along with makers of the tracking technology, I'm sure incidentally, say that even if the details need refining, the practice has become valuable and perhaps inevitable. Some employers are making a trade, quote, if we're going to give up on bringing people back to the office, we're not going to give up on managing productivity. Uh, Tommy Weir, whose company Enable... Well, we got to justify our phony baloney jobs, you know? Like... Exactly. Tommy Weir, whose company Enable provides group productivity scores to Fortune 500 companies, aims to eventually use individual scores to calibrate pay. So the basic point of this is, like, yeah, if we're going to let you work from home, well, we're going to demand a office-level panopticon be installed in your house so that I can look at you every moment of the day and ensure that you're not getting it over on me somehow, you know? One of the Meanwhile, things they... I I'm collecting a bigger... I'm wasting a bigger salary doing this to you. Yeah. Like, that's the fucking story of American commerce, man. And man, just it's just larded up with fucking management. Mm-hmm do fucking justifying your job their jobs that's control is the the need the capital capitalist need for control like comes from at least two places it's it's like instinctual and ideological from the top down but like in order to enact that it requires managers and then the managers reinforce that doubly just in the because it's the only reason they exist you know mm -hmm. like so they they take it, have to take it to extremes to justify their own paycheck, you know. And so, you know, continuing here, they say uh, former supervisors described having newfound powers of near X-ray vision into what employees were doing other than working, watching porn, playing video games, using bots to mimic typing. That's cool. And this is the one I think they actually care about two timing. Uh, crossover which is the company they're talking about by programming for other businesses <laughs> and so i mean this part of it too right is you know in the capitalist mind the employer employee relationship is such that you're selling each other commodities right you are the employee is selling their labor in exchange for the employer giving them a wage right and it is the employer's job to make sure that they get every ounce of that labor they feel is owed to them right mm -hmm. and so the idea that for these professional workers which i'm sure many of these guys do uh during their work day or whatever while they're working at home might do something for somebody else is a sin above all sins <laughs> you know <laughs> something that just cannot be allowed right um but yeah i mean again control the issue is control, right? And ultimately, the reality is, is that, look, Taylorism comes for us all. I mean, one person, you know, Miss Kramer from the beginning, she points out the, the flaws in the software by saying you have to be in front of your computer in work mode 55 or 60 hours just to get those 40 hours counted and paid for. It's some sort of error in the programming that I don't huh. get paid for hours that I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, sounds sounds like it's working to me lady yeah you know what they could take a lesson from like assembly line workers and things like that or about amazon drivers they should get a little piss bottle that they keep under their desk at home so they don't have to get up to use the bathroom they just piss in the bottle and drop it on the floor you know they should get yeah no they should um you know like uh pick up some tips on 
from like you know agricultural workers meat packers who uh or just fast food workers who have their fucking uh hours stolen their fucking wages stolen out of their pockets every week you know yeah not you know, getting paid for hours they fucking worked they could do what uh, metro bus drivers had to do in seattle since there are no bathrooms and the route times are too tight for them to stop uh which is just wear a diaper to work that's apparently yeah. good enough for all of us <laughs> you know just wear a fuck where you get some depends you know yeah i mean the actual anger in the story is all about how uh yeah we thought that was good enough for everybody else when we designed these systems but to have it turned on us oh my god uh, one person uh, warning that this is literally killing morale. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh no, <laughs> yeah, it's something they give a shit about. Let me tell you, but yeah, I mean, the ultimate thing is that capitalism is at its heart a dehumanizing machine by its nature. You are, as an employee, no matter what your pay is, whether you're getting minimum wage or two hundred dollars an hour, you are a commodity that the capitalist has purchased. Right, you're a biological robot. Yep. And they demand control over you during what they perceive as your work time, which just so happens to be all the time. Yeah, it's as much as they can get. I mean, if you bought a robot, would you like and pay money for it and for it to do things for you? Would you be happy about it, like sleeping eight hours out of the day? (laughs) No, you'd be like, get to work. (laughs) Yeah, get to work, robot. Well, the future, you know, as always looking bright i mean the reality is I, we're, we're being a little hard on professional workers on this but the reality is it's like guys this is why you need a labor movement all right like this is what unions are for uh maybe you should have a little more sympathy for your lower paid uh comrades and labor uh and maybe get it out of your head that your boss is your friend because they're fucking not you know i mean that's this is just this is anxiety and anger over having being disabused of believing they had escaped this fate you know yeah that they went to college they got their mba they or their fucking whatever master's degree to to work in uh an email job that they thought you know was not would not be as alienated as uh you know working like fast food or something or at the grocery store and come to find oh um it, it's also that you know yeah i i also am just a stooge of uh the, the capital machine yeah i mean these are all the people who moved out west and found out they had to work for the railroad anyways right which is mm-hmm. that uh there's no escape there's no escape now on that note i first want to give before we head out for the night Give a shout out to uh, our listeners who I met last weekend at the rally for the Magnolia Child Care Union. I talked to a few listeners of the show. You guys know who you are. Uh, and it was very heartening to hear because, uh, you know, we we don't ever see anybody ever. So all I ever get to look at is Greg's increasingly handsome mug year by year. So mm-hmm. as, as nice as that is. Hotter was, every day. It's good to meet some listeners, and I'd also like to give a big shout out and thanks to Kyle, who just became a patron. Welcome, Kyle. Uh, go join the Discord. Go check out all the new episodes available to you on Patreon. 
let your friends know about all the wonderful, wonderful content that's available for just $5 a month. All right. And we won't even monitor you in your house through your computer. <laughs> if you give us that money, we will do it if you don't. But uh, if you give us the money, we will turn off our monitoring software and let you live your life in peace. Yep. And, <laughs> and you know, if you do sign up for the Discord, uh, just don't don't read the terms of service too closely. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, on that note, uh, we'll see everybody later. Good night, everybody. Night.